Good morning. Is this going to be as weird for me as it is for you guys <laughs> to not be standing with the guitar and only talking for like two minutes? <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Um, peace. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 11 this morning. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. And as you're turning there, um, we are talking about the fact that Jesus, when he came, brought peace, and to this day he still brings peace. And so I want to start just by reading a story that I think is almost proof enough on its own that he brings peace. We've all heard of the Christmas truce before um, in World War I. Uh, 1914, and in all of my Googling and uh, research, I could not find one source that said this was not true, um, that this, this amazing story of peace in a time of war. Um, so I just want to read a, a quick excerpt from uh, one man's recounting one of the things that happened. It says, as night fell on Christmas Eve, Bringing with it a hard frost, the soldiers who had traded insults up and down the line instead began to sing for each other. In his reminiscences of the war, Rifleman Graham Williams of the 5th London Rifle Brigade described how the spirit took hold. Suddenly lights began to appear along the German parapet, he wrote, makeshift Christmas trees adorned with lighted candles, which burnt steadily in the still frosty air. First the Germans would sing one of their carols, and then we would sing one of ours. Until when we started up, O come all ye faithful, the Germans immediately joined in singing the same hymn to the Latin words, Adeste Fidelis. And I thought, well, this is really a most extraordinary thing. Two nations, both singing the same carol in the middle of a war. Many of the men stayed awake all night. And amazingly, that's not all that happened. These men on the front lines of the Great War, or what we call World War I, um, they didn't just stay in their trenches and sing carols together. They actually ended up trusting each other enough on, on Christmas Eve to get out of the trenches and walk into no man's land um, and, and play football, the European kind, not American. Um, and they, they ate and drank together um, in the middle of a war. And I just... I read this story and I thought that it would be a good start for us because I have never heard of anything else like this. I mean, have you ever heard of anyone in a time of war, of, of massive war? I mean, one of these nations was invading the other and yet for a time like Christmas, they were able to make peace. Even if for just a night, 
because of a man named Jesus, because of what he brought, because of who he is, peace was able to be created, even if for just a moment in a time of war. And so if that's, if that's not enough um, proof that Jesus brings peace to us, uh, I, I think Isaiah 11 will be. Um, I, I, I think that, that as we walk through this text this morning, um, we only need to do one thing. We only need to look at Jesus. And that's, that's all I'm going to ask us to do this morning. I'm not going to ask you for anything else this morning other than to just look at Jesus. Just, just, take, just take him at face value for what the text says he is this morning. Um, and then there will be, there's two things at the, at the very end that I'm not going to ask us to do, but I'm just going to hope that in our looking at Jesus, we will, will not be able to help but do. Um, and, and I believe that if we look at Jesus, we'll, we'll find peace um, for ourselves, and we'll be able to be peace for others. So there's, there's three things that Isaiah chapter 11 is going to show us about Jesus. Um, they, they won't be on the screen, um, but I'll repeat them often and frequently so that you can remember. Um, Jesus is, we're going to see, the embodiment of peace. We're going to see that Jesus is the mediator of peace. And we are going to see that Jesus is the establisher or the usher of peace. The embodiment of peace, the mediator of peace, and the establisher or usher of peace. And we'll start in verse 1. Normally we'd read the whole text, but in light of time, and because it's such a big text, um, we are going to just walk right down through the text together. We will read all the verses together um, as they come as a whole. And we'll start in verse 1 with the first point, Jesus is the embodiment of peace. So if you have your Bibles, you can begin reading with me in chapter 11 of Isaiah, verse 1. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now before we can even begin really taking this text apart and seeing that it is about um, Jesus and that he is this embodiment of peace, mediator of peace, and establisher of peace. We have to make sure we know that this text is actually talking about Jesus um, because it's in the Old Testament, so I'm not going to assume all of the research that, that has to go into explaining that this is about Jesus on you. I'm going to do the explaining for you. In the chapter before, um, chapter 10, God paints this picture, or Isaiah, um, God speaking through Isaiah, paints this picture of the peoples of the earth that God is going to, like, mow them all down. He's going to basically, like, fern gully, you know, just clear cut the forest of humanity into nothing. Avatar, maybe? Nobody knows fern gully? Okay. (laughs) So, um, he's going to, like, 
you know, you've seen when there's a big forest of trees and then you come the next day and then they're just all lopped. So just imagine this. As far as the eye can see, um, there are just these, these stumps of trees everywhere. God is just fed up with how man has, has treated his creation. And even the people of Israel have come to a point where their nation has fallen from glory and they are just dispersed among um, enslaved to all of these different people groups, the Assyrians most prominently in this text. And then, so, so we've got just this picture of the decimation of the world. There's, there's nothing left. There is no hope. But in Isaiah 11, verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, from one of these Thousands of stumps, the stump of Jesse, a shoot, a little baby tree plant will come out like Wally, you know, um, to, to, to be the hope of the world. Um, and Jack preached a really awesome sermon on, the, on the, the, the line of Jesse, on the stump of Jesse at BCM last week. And I wish it was recorded somewhere so that you could go hear it. And he explains way more in detail why, um, why this means that we're talking about Jesus. But I'll just try to give the briefest synopsis of it as I possibly can. The stump of Jesse is, uh, Jesse is David's father. So King David, who, um, who basically is the most famous king in the history of Israel. Um, and in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7... Um, Samuel promises to David, the king who is Jesse's son. So again, stump of Jesse, uh, David rises out, okay? And it says, when your days are fulfilled, this is the promise from God through the prophet Samuel to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So that's the promise to David. But then if you keep reading the Old Testament from Samuel all the way up even to Isaiah and then all the way up till the very end of the Old Testament, you will not find anyone who comes even close to fulfilling this promise. Um, I mean, we can see clearly the nation of Israel is just nothing at this point. So there isn't a single person since David who even comes close to this, this king who establishes a throne and a rule forever. I mean, the people of Israel are just completely, completely decimated at this point. Um, John Calvin, he says um, in the commentary on this verse... Uh, we infer that this prediction applies solely to the person of Christ. For till he came, no such branch arose. We see, therefore, to the wretched and almost ruined Jews, consolation was held out in the Messiah alone. The Messiah alone. I love my ESV study Bible's um, synopsis of chapter 11, it's one sentence. It says, the Messiah will transform the world. He will transform the world. 
And so we are talking about Jesus. So, if we're talking about Jesus, and Jesus is who is being described in this text, the next verse describes him as the embodiment of peace. Read with me verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. I don't know about you, but um, 2016, I'm not going to get political, I promise. The 2016 has been kind of a crazy year um, when we look at the leaders of our nation and just this, we've had this kind of wild election cycle and um, a lot of us, no matter what the outcome was going to be, were, were fearful or afraid or even just fed up. Um, and I don't know about you, but for me to have peace as a citizen of a nation, um, these are the qualities of a leader that I would feel safe and at peace and at comfort with someone who is wise and understanding so that they might have mercy on me when I make a mistake or they might know how to deal rightly with all the issues that I might face as a citizen. Um, Someone who is mighty and who takes up wise counsel so he can defend uh, the, the land um, that, that peace reigns in. And most importantly, someone who has the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And the beautiful part about where we sit as a people is we have that leader, and his name is Jesus. And these are the characteristics that embody a a leader that is, that is peaceful. Um, there, it's this beautiful picture of wisdom and understanding, this meekness and humility that we see in the, the Lamb that is Jesus and this mighty, mighty warrior um, in the Lion who is Jesus. This is definitely talking about Jesus. And we can be at peace because he actually is in charge, Right? He actually is on the throne, and he actually is our king, and we are citizens of his nation. So, he's the embodiment of peace. Um, And, sorry, I skipped the beginning. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. I think that is just such a picture of the Trinity. Not just the Spirit of the Lord is with him. We've heard that before. Um, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest Upon him. He has, Jesus has perfect unity with the Spirit and with the Father. He's at perfect peace all the time with his family, with God the Father, with God the Spirit. And because he's at perfect peace with these, he is these things wise, understanding, mighty, and he fears the Lord. So Jesus is the embodiment of peace. He's also the mediator of peace. That's these next few verses that we are going to read, um, starting in verse 3. It's not just that 
He has the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. It says, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness shall be the belt of his loins. This is where it gets really good. John Piper um, says, because what do you do when you preach Isaiah 11? You go to desiringgod.org, and you look at what John Piper said about it. (laughs) Um, He says, let me find it. Oh, yeah, there it is. Because Jesus' delight is in the fear of the Lord, and his knowledge, uh, his knowledge of the fear of the Lord, this makes him utterly reliable in his judgments among men. He's completely reliable. He will never, by, by any standard, do anything to displease the perfect and holy will of God. And because of that, his judgments are perfectly good towards men all the time. This is a hard thing for me to believe sometimes, but it's true. How does that connect to him being the mediator of peace? Well, look at the next um, section of of verse 3. It says, He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. That confuses me a little bit because it just said, and Piper just explained to us why he's going to be absolutely perfect in all of his judgments towards men. So why wouldn't I want him to decide and judge men based on what he sees and what he hears. Well, if I actually really think about it, I don't want Jesus to judge me based on what he sees or based on what he hears. I would be in a world of trouble if that were the case. And I think we could all probably say the same, that if we... If he really judged us based on what he saw or what he heard, that we would not be uh, in a good place. But, verse 4, with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. What does this mean? With righteousness, how? How does he not, by looking or hearing anything, decide with equity for the meek of the earth? How does he, with righteousness, judge us, the poor? We all are desperately poor. Um, he, he, he does it by one, one act. He did it by one act. With his with his meekness, with his mercy, with his embodiment of peace that we already looked at, he laid his own life down and gave it up. And he did that to, to obtain righteousness for us. He lived an 
absolutely perfect life, and when people wanted to kill him, he let them. He let them. He never once, when he was going to the cross, argued his case for himself, and the only thing I can ever remember him saying in that time is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then it is finished. He probably said more, but I can't remember right now. Um, Romans 5, verses 17 and 18, kind of explain this for us succinctly. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one, one man, much more, much more, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. This is how Jesus decides with righteousness that he shall judge the poor. The Father does not judge you based on your actions. He does not judge you based on your actions. He judges you based on one action. One action, Jesus' death on the cross. That's the one action he judges you by when you receive the free gift. Isn't that so comforting? That now the free gift of grace is, is completely accessible and attainable among all of us. With equity, he shall decide. And what is the, the, the rest of verse 4? And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked, and righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. I read this second half of verse 4 with um, a, a spiritual mindset. Um, like the Ephesians 6, we don't war against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. I don't think God is talking about striking down men if we're looking at this through New Testament eyes. Um, the, my, my ESV study Bible also translates the rod of his mouth to the truth of his word. And so he shall strike the earth with the truth of his word. And with the breath of his lips, still where the truth comes from, he shall kill the wicked. Um, and interestingly, Paul quotes Isaiah 11 in that Ephesians 6 where he talks about um, wrestling not against flesh and blood, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and it says, I, just, I, I so see this as Jesus conquering um, for us, driving Satan and his plans and death and its oppression on us out from 
the people of the earth. I see this as the advance of the kingdom of Jesus' peace. He is the mediator of peace, and he does it by his death on the cross. He does it um, by his aggression towards evil, um, which is also done by his death on the cross and by his sanctifying work in further and further and further and further revealing himself to us in sanctification. And then righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness shall be the belt of his loins. I think this is actually kind of a funny reference because like the pants don't stay on unless you got the belt. And so like the belt of your Christianity, like your, the pants of your Christianity are not hanging on unless God is faithful. And they're not hanging on unless God is righteous. But luckily, he's got, he's got us covered. Um, so, yeah, I just, I don't know, thought that was funny. Apparently, apparently wasn't that funny. Um, okay, so Jesus is the embodiment of peace. He is the mediator of peace. Now we're going to see that he is the establisher or the usher of peace. Um, I wanted to use the word usher for a couple reasons. Um, I've been an usher in a lot of weddings, and I am terrible at it. Like, I'm so bad at it. Uh, Not only do I always find myself right after the lady with the binder was telling us what to do, not remembering what she said, (laughs) um, I never remember which side the bride or groom side is or if that's even a thing anymore and I uh and I can't ever gauge like who wants to be walked down the aisle or who doesn't um and I'm terrible at small talk like for you know oh well, the weather was good today I got, well here's your seat okay <laughs> um but inevitably in every ush, in every wedding I've ever ushed is that the right ushed in I don't know um in every wedding I've ever ushed in, uh, there's always like one or two little old ladies that you that you end up like helping find a seat, and and I guarantee like every single time like it's you can bet on it it's going to happen. One of them will say, "Isn't this just the most beautiful thing you've ever seen?" <laughs> As they're walking into the sanctuary and. You know, I worked in a lot of churches, so I'm just like, well, it's just a sanctuary. But I don't actually say that. <laughs> um, but the, every single time, every single time, there's one, isn't this just the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? And um, I think that uh, they're actually really, really onto something. You know, that when, when I'm... I'm leading them to take their seat in a ceremony where two people are about to be joined in perfect union. It's, it is the most beautiful thing you, you could possibly see. And I think that that is what Jesus does for us. I think that is why he is the usher of peace because, and it's kind of twofold, he, you know, he came to earth to dwell with us, bringing peace with him, right? When he came, the angel said, 
um, you know, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, uh, but it's also that Jesus takes us by the hand and he leads us into peace. He leads us into this perfect ceremony, this perfect union between us and God and between us and each other, between all of creation. And that's where verses 6 through 10 come in, that he is the establisher of peace. This is what his kingdom looks like. It says, you can read with me in verse 6, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young goat uh, their young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like an ox, and the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is the result of Jesus' mediating peace and his embodiment of peace that he establishes and ushers in a reign of peace in our lives and eventually among the entire world. His peace permeates the very fabric of creation to the point where the inborn instincts of animals are reversed. Where fear reigned in terror over the weak who had to run for their lives, rest is found. And where hunger ruled in constant rage over the powerful, fulfillment and wholeness is found. Even so much that these animals who once were at, in strife and an enmity between each other can close their eyes, they can trust each other enough to lie down together and go to sleep. And most of the commentators actually say that these pictures of animals are are talking about nations, bigger nations devouring littler nations, and how this peace is really referring to the nations coming together and unifying under one name. And I love, I, I love the picture of children in here. What, what parent doesn't want to read that? Like, if you find your baby playing with a cobra, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> like, it's no big deal. That's how safe children are. 
in the kingdom of God. And more so, I think about what Job said last week. When he said, I pray you understand what I'm saying. He said, children are safe in the kingdom of God. Who we call Father. It's not just the little ones who are safe. It's us, the children. There's there's not a thing that can harm anymore. Sorry. I know someone who... I know someone who you would think that the circumstances of their life would cause them great turmoil and would cause them to be driven further and further and further and further from peace. But that is not the case in this person's life. I watch every time I speak with them as peace seems to be more evident and more prevalent and more available to them than I have ever experienced. And they have been through more than I could ever dream to withstand. And it's because the kingdom of God reigns in their heart. Because children are safe in God's kingdom. I, I know this person. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, moving on. I also, I love that the end of, of, I love that verse nine says the reason why they won't do this anymore. It says, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. The, the knowledge of the Lord that we saw in verse one and two. Um, the The, the wisdom and understanding, the knowledge of the fear of the Lord that was once just our leader, Jesus's, is now available and is with everyone. In God's kingdom, Jesus gives everybody everything he has. And so that's how it's all working. That's why we're not hurting or destroying anymore because everybody looks like Jesus and everybody can be as peaceful as he is because he gives himself to each of us. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Calvin, again, he says, with good reason does the prophet add that this invaluable blessing flows from the knowledge of God for it abases all flesh teaching men to commit themselves to his trust and guardianship and brings them into a state of brotherly harmony when they learn that they have the same father. And later Calvin says, if this fullness of knowledge takes possession of our minds, it will free us from all malice. Free us from all malice. So Jesus is the 
embodiment of peace. He is the mediator of peace. And he is the establisher or the usher of peace. And then in verse 10, in that day the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the people. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. That's kind of the cap he's going to set on the throne one day and finally fully establish his peace that we now just see through a veil he will establish in full. And everybody will want to know what he has to say. Of him the nation shall inquire. And I just want to read... Verse, yeah, we'll read, we'll read the whole thing. Verse 11 through 15, um, just to kind of, if all of this wasn't enough, if it all wasn't com- completely more than enough, verses 11 through 16 are still there. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time. So good that we serve a God of second chances. Just throwing that in there to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah. From the four corners of the earth, the jealousy of Ephraim shall depart and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. That's the two split nations of Israel. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the peoples of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, And will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels. And he will lead the people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people. As there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. As there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. All of these nations that are mentioned in these last verses represent the oppression of God's people. And in this piece of text, we see, we see the final keystroke of the establishment of God's kingdom, that he unites all of his people together, and he drives out the oppression that they face. And not only that, but in verse 15 and 16, if you don't know what the tongue of the sea of Egypt is, that is the Red Sea, believed to be the place where God, God parted it so that the Israelites could originally go through. So now he's going a step further. He's not playing around anymore, and he's just going to dry the whole thing right up. And then it also says, and will wave his hand over the river, which most commentators seem to think is the river Euphrates which is what separates, um, it's the landmark that separates Assyria from, um, from where Israel would have been. And so, uh, and, and Assyria again is where the Israelites are mostly in, in bondage still at, at this time. And it says that he's, 
He's basically going to dry it up to the point where it's just a bunch of little streams. And it's going to be so easy for people to walk out from under slavery back home that they can do it with sandals. He will lead them across in sandals. That they can just, they can just easily make their way home. He makes a way for people to come into his peace. He makes an easy way for people to become a part of his kingdom, to leave oppression. So, there's just two things. We've seen that Jesus is the embodiment of peace, that he is the mediator of peace, and that he is the establisher or usher of peace. I hope in, in looking at him this morning and considering who he is would help us do these two things. The first one is that we might surrender to peace. In times of war, the quickest way to peace usually is to surrender. And especially so if the good guy is who you're surrendering to, Right, um, and I guess this this is kind of for two different groups of people. Um, if you are not a Christian this morning and you find yourself just at odds with the world and without peace and without understanding or comfort, um, God offers you peace. Not, well, it is perfect peace, but not, it doesn't always feel that way, but he, he offers you, he offers you perfect peace. He offers you salvation. And so if, if, if looking at Jesus today has compelled you, then the call for you this morning is to surrender to him. It's good to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. It's good it brings more freedom. I mean, you could, you could just look at, you know, arguably we, we all sit under our government here in America and we're more free than we would be if we just went out on the ocean and did our own thing, right? It's, it's good to be in the kingdom of Jesus. So that might be you this morning. You might need to surrender. And the way you do that is just by confessing with your mouth that he is Lord and believing that he that he died and rose again, um, and, and, and repenting from your, your wrongdoing, from your sin. And if you have questions about that, you can talk with Jack or, or um, Fudd or me um, after the service. Maybe you are a believer in Jesus this morning, and you need to surrender again to peace. Maybe you have ceased acknowledging that God wants and has planned for the absolute best for you. And despite the circumstances, he is working all things for your good. Maybe you need to surrender control 
again this morning. I mean, what compassion must be in his heart towards his children when we worry about things that he knows he has under control? What kindness, what patience. You know, if you're, if you're anxious about something this morning, if there's, if there's something that you're angry about, Just give it. Just give it to him. I, I can't make you be at peace by anything that I said this morning. You, you just have to surrender your control and trust. And I promise you, you will be at peace. I know someone. I know someone who, who is like this. Who has maybe not perfectly figured it out, but Pretty close. Surrender. Surrender to his peace this morning. He is compassionate. He's kind. He, he said himself in Matthew chapter 6 uh, that it's, it's not worth anything to worry and that he knows what we need and that he provides it. So seek first his kingdom, which is the, the second thing. So surrender to peace. And then be peace to the world. You know, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. And we just finished a series on racial reconciliation um, a little while ago as we were kind of walking through parts of Acts. And I think that there is no better place to start than with each of ourselves. Uh, If I, I... I have found myself trying to look deep into my heart and see where is it that I am not at peace with my brother, with my sister, who looks different than me. And I think each of us has that somewhere. And we need, we need to look inward and see where we might be able to be peace to our brothers and our sisters, where we might be able to advance the cause of peace on their behalf. And then the, the, the other way that I think we can be peace to the world is um, one, of our, one of our frequent applications here at Remedy is to share the gospel. And I think if we if we look at it a little bit differently than something that we're supposed to do or that God wants us to do, if we look, if we start from a place of how can I be peace to someone today? How can I be peace to someone today? I guarantee you that if, 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 if that's the question you're seeking to, to answer and if, and if you're going to try to be peace, to be love, to be Jesus to someone today and you get into a conversation with them, the gospel will come up. It will. It, it's how you'll, you'll share how you're getting through whatever it is you're getting through, even if you're not getting through it perfectly. Maybe we need to stop thinking, all right, who, 
who can I share the gospel with today so that I, so that I can really make sure I, I share the gospel each day? And maybe we need to think about who can I be peace to and love today? And then who can I speak the love of Christ to today in, in some way? Who can I share? Who can I share with? Jesus is the embodiment of peace. Jesus is the mediator of peace. Jesus is the establisher of peace. I hope that this morning, this week, this next year, we'll be able to surrender to peace and to be peace to the world. Let's pray. Father, again, I, I just acknowledge that um, that I can't make anyone have peace. That that's a gift that you give and that we have to openly receive and that we have to choose to uh, a reality we have to choose to live in each day. Uh, but Father, I pray that as we have looked at your Son, that that we would see that indeed he is peace, that he brings peace, that peace is accessible to us despite the strife that we see in the world around us. Um, And God, I just ask that you would help us to advance your cause of peace this morning. I, I pray that we would have thankful hearts this morning, that, that we have access to such, such peace. Um, and God, I just pray that as we remember the Christmas season, um, that we would remember Jesus, that he came, uh, that, you would, that you would, again, just help us to have peace. God, we, we thank you for this time. We bless you. We honor you. It's in Christ's name we pray.